Canucks Central Tuesday, Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. We are a presentation of your local Grip Auto entire location. Friendly service and expert advice are waiting for you at gripauto.ca today. It is uh, the day where the conference finals begin. The Edmonton Oilers and Colorado Avalanche will bring you that on Sportsnet 650. A little bit later on at uh, 5 o'clock, that's uh, when the puck drop happens. Yes, very good. Very excited about that. We'll uh, dive more into that and uh, give you a little preview of the Rangers going up against the Tampa Bay Lightning in the Eastern Conference Final. And also some other storylines around the league. Maybe a bit of a post-mortem on the Carolina Hurricanes who were a no-show in Game 7 last mm-hmm. night. You can also uh, find us on podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Subscribe, leave a review. Yesterday we talked with Canucks General Manager Patrick Alvin. A lot of interesting thoughts there. And one of the big topics was about player development. Mm-hmm. Sat, given the Canucks, um, you know, getting Daniel and Henrik Sedin to really specialize into that department. Also adding Mikhail Samuelson, who was on Halford and Bruff this morning, and... Mike Komisarek is now part of the organization as well in that capacity. But one of the things that is ever so apparent, the Canucks haven't done well enough at player development. They haven't drafted enough talent, but even Mm -hmm. the talent that they've had, they've not found a way to bring enough of those players along outside of the real top players into some kind of, NHL-level talent. Yeah. Somebody that can add to the organization. And yesterday we teased, well, maybe hold up one second on uh, this most recent draft class that the Canucks have had. Well, and, you know, I do find it really interesting because, to your point, the Canucks now have a robust player development department. I mean, as Cameron Granato is overseeing it, Ryan Johnson is still there, the Sedin, Samuelson, Commissary, like you mentioned. So now you have everything put into place. And you're right. I mean, the Canucks don't have the biggest, strongest, most robust prospect system. But if you do look back to the 2021 NHL entry draft, I do think that there is more value here and there are better players with more upside than I think a lot of people are really giving credit to based on the year that's been. So I spent the past few days talking to some people in North America, but also people in Europe that watch a lot of these prospects. And the three players I'm going to mention right now are Jonathan Myrenberg. Lucas Forsell, and Aku Kos- Kosevenku. Koskenvu. Koskenvu. Koskenvu, wow. We're working on the pronunciation. There. Aku Koskenvu, wow. <laughs> so, Aku Kos- Always going to have it. Yes. Yes, he is. So, he's the Finnish goaltender yeah. who is going to Harvard next season. Had a decent year. Not a lot to kind of... Nothing spectacular about his year, but the goalie guys love him. Yeah. And word is, even Ian Clark loves the kid. And with him going to Harvard, the upside he has, the confidence he has... I think a lot of people are excited about his upside, the fifth-round pick, but also the right-side defenseman, Jonathan Myrenberg, mm-hmm. who played this past season. He has had a really strong year from the people I've talked to, and yeah. they feel like he's a premium position prospect who could be a real surprise in a couple of years. And even Hugo Gabrielson, they feel like, has some long-term upside. But the player I think the organization might be most excited about, or I think at least people I've spoken to are most excited about, is Lucas Forsell. Really? One scout I spoke to said a lot of Jesper 
Brat vibes as a late round pick who could be really good. Doesn't have the same speed, isn't quite as fast. I mean, but as a kid, pretty high praise. Yes, for Brad was what point of game this year with the, he de- was. With the Devils. It took a few years to get there. Now, I'm not saying these guys are going to become that, but the point yeah. I'm trying to make here is there's a lot of excitement about these players who are taking the fifth round or later. And when we sit here and talk about the Canucks prospect system, yes, it's barren. They need a lot more. But the 2021 draft class may have a lot more promise than I think a lot of us have been paying attention to. So one of the things that comes to mind when, and and hey, look, uh, yeah, these are exciting prospects, but is it exciting to the point where it's exciting relative to their draft position a year ago, or are they actually exciting? You know, well, well I think obviously what you're talking about is longer term prospects. Yeah. We're not talking about guys who are a year away. We're talking about guys that are more long term projects. But based on a year out since being drafted, those three guys specifically, I mean, Lucas Forcell played some games in the SHL. Yeah. Which is year. impressive. For a and kid who's a teenager, that is impressive. And when he played in the junior side, he was a point-per-game player. And there was a lot of promise to his game, what he might become in a couple of years. And Myrenberg playing the right side with his overall game, there's a lot of projectability in his game as well. Listen, we're not talking about guys who are going to come in here in a year or two. Yeah. But what I thought was interesting, and we heard Michael Samuelson this morning, he was on with Halford and Bruff, and one of the things he talked about specifically was working with some prospects in Europe, especially the guys in Sweden. Well, yeah. three of the guys I just mentioned are in Sweden. <laughs> yep. So, and especially with a guy like Forcell and who needs to get a bit quicker and get, get a little bit faster. And when you look at where Michael Samuelson put the work in, in his development side and how hard he worked, the shape he was in and, and how dedicated he was, if he's able to get a guy like him to become a better skater, yeah. get more conditioned, and then get him to realize his potential, we might be sitting here in a few years and talking about the Canucks getting a steal late in the draft in 2021. And uh, you, you heard from Patrick Alvine yesterday saying it was important for them to get a forward and a defenseman to help on the player development side to really work with, uh, I guess, both sides of those players. Um, okay, great. You've got uh, Myrenberg, Gabrielson, Forsell, Koskin Vuau. It's this is this is somewhat yeah. exciting, sad, but. Part of me is, you know, still like, well, the bar has to be higher, you know? Yeah. Uh, we got excited about Jonah Gadjevich and Cole Lind mm-hmm. in, in previous years, and those guys are just borderline NHLers. Adam Gaudette burst onto the scene and, and was great and looked interesting, and how has that worked out? Turns out he's a fifth-round pick, punching above his weight, and is a fringe NHLer at this point as well. Like, it... The standard has to be higher for the Vancouver Canucks. Well, I mean, I don't think we, you know, we're sitting here and saying these guys are necessarily going to be playing in a year or two. Yeah. But the point being that Myronberg is a guy who was drafted this past year in the fifth round who played in the SHL this year as a yeah. teenager. So did Forcell. And Gabrielson still has some upside. And Aku Koskin Vuau, there we go. We got his name right. Yep. I mean, he's going to Harvard next season. And based on how the guys feel about him, there's going to be a lot of promise in his game. The thing here, though, is, especially in those two Swedish guys we talked about, they're taking a step. So what do you do now to help their de- development? Getting a guy like Samuelson, we just spoke to Forsell, for instance, how he could help him potentially next year, working closely with them, but also organizationally, just the, the tact you take with your prospects, the amount of time you let them stay in Sweden to mature, when you think is the right time to bring them over to have them play in the North American game. And this might be a three or four or five year project. I just want to make sure that people understand that these guys are promising. 
Yeah. And that based on a year out, when we're sitting here and talking about Baron draft classes, and, and for sure, like I'm not, listen, the Canucks have not have their fair share of first and second and third round picks under the Benning regime. They haven't. No. Considering that they, they ran, what, seven drafts, they didn't have enough first, second, and third round picks. Yeah. So that's where the overall volume comes in. And yes, they've had some bad draft classes before that. But this past year's draft class, especially with the amount of analytics and video scouting that went into drafting these players, I think there is a lot of stuff here that could be exciting in a few years. And I just want to make sure that people understand and are aware of some of these guys and what they've done this season. And we shouldn't just yeah. overlook them. That's so there, there's some legit prospects yes, here. There are a few that are. Um, and, and hey, it may not be where you want it to be, but there are some legit prospects. And that's something I, you know, we can take as something that this club has to work with, not a complete barren wasteland after Jack Rathbone and maybe Danila Klimovich. That being said, you know, there is still a lot of work to do. And we look at the the top prospects in the organization. How do we rank the top prospects in the organization? Um, are you ready to put any of these guys you just mentioned into the top five of the organization sat? You know what? We talked about this recently. It's it's Rathbone and Klimovich, and and then where are you going after that? Yeah, I mean it's Rathbone and Klimovich that are in that grouping, and I mean even Klimovich. Now, I think if you look at a guy like Stankoven, who was taken a few picks later, yeah, we'll see if he turns out to be a better player. And I think a lot of people will ter- point to that. If Klimovich doesn't become a player, there's going to be plenty of selections around that stage that people will point to and say they made a mistake. Yeah, and and again, you know, Stankoven was still playing junior this year, yeah. whereas Klimovich was playing. With adults and playing pro hockey. And, and we'll see how those guys kind of project. Yeah. But I would put Forcell as a top five prospect. And same thing with Koskin Vual. So would Silovs and Koskin Vual both be among the top five prospects? I think goalies? that's a fair way of putting it. And I think a Myrenberg, who I think is very, I mean, I haven't watched a ton of them, but speaking to scouts, and I've spoken to people that are not with the Canucks organization, yeah. just to kind of get a, hey, non-biased view, you know, what do you guys think about him? Especially because he's a right side defenseman. Mm-hmm. And because of how mature his game already is, he's not going to be a guy who's going to step in and be a big point producer. That's not what he's going to be. But yeah. what do the Canucks need on the right side? Steady, young players that can play well mm-hmm. defensively and also help transition the puck well. Myrenberg has a lot of those traits. Uh, Myrenberg was a fifth-round pick last year. Uh, Gabrielson was a sixth-round pick. And Lucas Forcell was taken in the seventh round, 201st overall by the Canucks in the 2021 entry draft. I mean, that leaves a lot of other players kind of on the outside looking in, Sat. Uh, we didn't mention Aiden McDonough, who has burst onto yep. the scene. Obviously, uh, Yanni Yermo was their first pick in the 2020 draft, third rounder, but their first pick yeah. I mean, in that draft. You can easily put Aiden McDonough into that, yeah. into that category and put him above even a guy like Klimovich, and he's probably a lot closer, but he hasn't signed yet with this organization. Um. It's, you know, it's, it, there's just not a lot there. You know, you can maybe, uh, even Yon, Yanni Yormor, I, I haven't heard a lot of great things about yeah. his development. Zlodoyev is interesting. We'll see what happens with him in a few years. Zlodoyev, even from the day he was drafted, yeah. there was some people that were like, you know, this, you just keep an eye on this guy because there's, there's some potential. There, there is potential there. Um, I, I've heard some positive things about him, but it's kind of been a, a bit of a slow year for him this past year. Not as yeah. many opportunities, I think, as people had hoped. Victor Pearson, as a right side defenseman, has some promise too, but he just came over and played in Kelowna this past year. 
and you know had an okay year stepping into it. We'll see in a couple of years what he turns out to be, but I still like the upside. And we, what I like about these guys, look at Aiden, Aiden McDonough's age. Yeah, he's a bit older. Mm-hmm. We're talking about guys, Myron Burke, Forsell, who are eighteen, nineteen, and are already taking steps that these other prospects weren't taking. Still very early in their yeah. development, and that's what's exciting when guys can do that in the, after the first year they're drafted. And if you look back at history too, the guys who take the biggest step in their the year after they were drafted ultimately are the ones that end up being the best players down the road. And we're seeing a couple of late round picks and we'll see what Koskin Vuel, the goalie, because he's still got to go to Harvard as a bit of a longer term project. Mm-hmm. But I don't think we should overlook what Forsell and Myronberg did this year, considering how young they are. Um, the fact that they played in the SHL kind of tells the story a little bit, yeah. right? You know, um, That's not an easy lead to get a chance in when you're an 18-year-old. It's uh, one of the better leagues in the world. And to get that straight out of your draft year is kind of interesting. You made the comp uh, to Jasper Bratt. You know, if I think back to not necessarily his draft because he was also a very late round pick with the New Jersey Devils. Didn't he step right into the NHL? That's what was very impressive yeah. about Jasper Bratt. Like, I remember like uh, Devils training camp was like, yeah, this guy Jasper Bratt. And then he like starts scoring a bunch of goals early on in the season. So... You know, maybe a, a pretty mature game, not to say that that means Lucas Forcell is going to like develop into a ready-made re- replacement for the Canucks in the next couple of years, but that there is some promise there and uh, sat doing some good reporting on that. So what, is it, you know, what does this mean for the overall organization path? You know, we talked to Alvin yesterday. He reiterated what Jim Rutherford said last week, that it's going to be tough to add any draft picks we keep going back to the Miller trade. Is yeah. that the only way that they can add a higher round pick? You know, how do they continue to build on, hopefully, some of these lesser known talents that are coming through the organization? Well, just because I'm putting a lot of these guys into the discussion as top five prospects for this team doesn't mean that's a good thing, to your earlier point. Yeah. What you want to do is have these guys, but they're kind of your excess guys, the guys yeah. that you are hoping maybe one or two turn out to be something that you pick yeah. in the fifth round or later. Well, the thing is, the Canucks don't have a bunch of higher-end prospects ahead of them. They don't. Yeah. No, That's they the don't. That's issue. Well, realistically, if you were to compare these top these these prospects to what the LA Kings have, would any of them be in the top five <laughs> yeah. of, of the LA Kings system? Uh, maybe, probably not. You well, know, and, and that's and but that's one of the better prospect systems in the league. They've been going through a bit of a rebuild for a couple of years. And if this team say had some more higher draft selections or made some more more you know higher draft selections, they made more we, second round picks. Set. Yeah, well, I mean, and, and here's what Alvin said, and even when he was on with us yesterday, he said we might be able to get later round picks, mid round picks, as the high picks that are hard to get yeah. unless you're trading your higher end players. And those late round picks, mid round picks, sure they're good, but they're more swings like the ones we're just talking about. You need to have a few more guys you pick that can help you in one or two years, in three years. Not you know three to four to five longer-term projects with some upside. Those are the excess prospects you have on top of your strong nucleus of prospects that just kind of give you more and more as time goes on. And that's going to be the big key. You're going to build it out more. But how do you get a second-round pick this year or a first-round pick unless you're trading one of your best players? And ultimately, it comes back to the whole JT discussion. Does he stay or does he go? But that's your only way, JT or Bo, yep. to get that first round pick. A second round pick, I mean, you can get a second and a prospect for guys like Besser and Garland, but do you want to do that? Mm. Not not me. If you're trying to stay competitive, like how, how can you realistically trade those guys for just draft votes? I mean, I look at 
Besser situation. I wonder if a lot of the offers were similar to the Buchnevich offer the Rangers took, which was a second round pick and Sammy and Blight. Sammy Blight, which is okay, but it's nothing that you get excited about. St. Louis fans hate are that trade. Laughing all, like oh yeah, all the Rangers, way to the blank. yeah. I mean, I don't know. Rangers trade. Rangers fans are happy, but a lot of fans hated that trade when it yeah. happened. I hate it now, but I know the Blues love that trade. For instance, mm-hmm. now different, of course, but guys like Garland. And Besser weren't getting those higher pick offers, but why would you trade those guys if what you're getting is a second and a prospect? Yeah, you're you're better off keeping them. You know the the thing too with Miller, um, and we're we're gonna go through a, an exercise maybe uh, maybe tomorrow with producer Josh Elliott Wolf, who has a piece up at Canucks Army looking at what some of the offers could look like for J T. Miller. One thing I wonder, Sad, is like, is it a guarantee that that's like a pure futures trade? JT Miller, like if if they do go down that road, sure there'll be some kind of a pick involved. So uh, could that happen? I'm sure it could. Yeah, depends on who what the prospect is and what the pick is and everything. I wonder if they do that though, that they would do it if they knew that one of those assets could help them get something else, maybe. Right. Because if you're just doing it for strictly futures, um, you're helping yourself long term but you're not helping yourself potentially in a two-year window. And if you're making the JT trade, you want futures, but at the same time, I think you want something that is closer to helping you in a year or so. Uh, already, uh, we have six picks that have been traded in the first round. And yesterday, uh, the New York Rangers pick transferred from the New York Rangers, to the Winnipeg Jets when they advanced to the Eastern Conference Final. The conditional second-rounder that was traded for Andrew Kopp turned into a first-rounder, and so now the Rangers have sent their first-round pick to the Winnipeg Jets. Now, obviously, that's a team that has been linked to JT Miller quite a bit, but it's... You know, one of these, like one of the things that I find kind of interesting is like a lot of first rounders have already changed hands. How many more would be out there on the table in that kind mm-hmm. of a deal for JT Miller? Obviously, we'd have to wait and see if that does happen. Now, do I think Vancouver's against a 2023 draft pick? I don't think any team really is. Right. Especially if it's like a, a New Jersey Devils where, you know, they think they're going to take the jump to the playoffs, kind of like where the Canucks were when they traded yeah. for JT Miller, right? Yeah. A speculative trade to, you know, try and push your team forward, but there's no guarantee that you end up getting into the playoffs and not having that pick end up in the lottery. Now, we saw with Vegas this year, they did have top, what, five or ten protection yeah. on the on the Jack Eichel trade. Um, but um, when they ended up at 16, it ends up transferring anyway. So maybe there's some kind of stipulation that way. Because I, you know, I don't look. If I'm trading for JT Miller, I'm probably lottery protecting that first round pick for next year. You probably are. Um, I mean, and I mean, yes, you want to do that. It depends on how good a case Vancouver can make in negotiations. Can he get an yeah. unprotected pick, depending on what it is, and maybe it's only top five protected. So you get anything outside the top five, which yep. would be a better way of doing it. There, those are all the considerations. The, the thing with JT, which is going to be fascinating, is is there a team that we're not talking about? Because mm-hmm. usually these situations, there's a team that's quiet 
but is very, very... A sleeper team? That is very, very, um, let's say, motivated to do something. Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised if something like that comes up for JT. We're sitting here and talking about the Rangers, and that doesn't look like the Devils, for instance. I could see something else kind of happen, especially with the teams that have been eliminated right now. There's There are a lot of teams right now that are going through big-time soul-searching and decision-making. Yeah. Look at St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Look at Carolina. I mean, look at Boston. Just go through the list of teams. And there's going to be some teams that are just uh, playing it one year at a time, even Minnesota, right? Um, maybe they don't have a ton of money open down the line, but can they fit in JT Miller for one year at $5 million? Maybe that's something that they would look at instead of signing Kevin Fiala to a long-term deal. Now, the New York Rangers sat. They go through to the Eastern Conference Final mm-hmm. against all the odds, right? Nobody expected them to beat Pittsburgh. Nobody really expected them to beat Carolina, although you had your question marks going into the series. And all were proven to be quite correct. Carolina's shooters just couldn't find their way past Igor Shesterkin. But if you are the glass-half-full Canucks fan, you're looking at this Rangers team and being like, why can't that be the Canucks? Elite goalie, elite defenseman, got... A couple of really good forwards. Mm-hmm. You know, what's what's so different about how the Rangers are built from how the Vancouver Canucks are built? I mean, what the Rangers did was they made, I mean, they trade, they made like three or four big trades. Yeah. It was Zuccarello. It was JT Miller, Ryan McDonough. They sent out the letter and then they traded a bunch of guys. Yeah. They made like, you know, there was like four core, you know, core guys they traded. McDonough and Miller were in the same trade. Yes. And it was two first Tampa round Bay picks. Lightning. Yeah. yeah. Two first round picks in that trade. Um, but, what happened, though, was they turned around and got very aggressive afterwards. Yeah. It wasn't like they kind of tanked and took their time. You know, they were blessed with a first overall pick and a second overall pick in Kako and uh, Lafreniere. Lafreniere looks good. We'll see what Kako turns out to be. But the hey, lottery balls worked out for them. They worked out. Now, the selections, ultimately, we'll see if they made the right ones for where they were selecting. But they were also pretty aggressive in some of the deals they made to acquire Jacob Truba and give him a massive contract. Yeah. You look at the trades they made at the deadline, whatever, you feel like you're in a playoff spot, go ahead. But, I mean, they gave Chris Kreider a massive contract into mm-hmm. his 30s. Z- Mika Zibanejad and JT Miller are the same age. Yeah. Born in the same year, only a month apart. Wow. This year, Zibanejad's contract. Next year, Zibanejad's contract kicks in. He's going to be 29 years old. What's the difference between signing Zibanejad and JT Miller? Not much. Eight and a half million. Zibanejad, a better goal scorer, you could say, but Miller has had the better overall output. You can say Miller's a better player. Yeah. You can easily say that, right? So it's the same thing. Now you're signing JT a year later to an extension, but you have him a bit cheaper this year. But my point being, this is a team that was rebuilding, but they also made some aggressive trades. Your argument can be that at least they made a couple of big trades that allowed them to make other trades to be aggressive and build their team out. And that's a fair point to make, but that wasn't your ideal rebuild. Yeah. And there that's was, a team there, that's, that's pretty much invested into what they have right now, too. But there was a mini sell-off. Yeah. And, you know, they were able to flex that they're the New York Rangers. But they right? fired their GM and their coach because they weren't happy with the returns. <laughs> but uh, I, I, that was more like crazy owner James Dolan type thing sure. than anything else. Like, 100%. Most people were like, hey, Jeff Gordon did a pretty good job Decent, with some of those deals. But, I mean, considering that how aggressive he was to get Truba and they made the other trades correspondingly and yeah. ate up a lot of his futures... I mean, it's one of those things like you, you spend some of the capital. They still have extra excess capital. They do. Yeah. But they spent a lot of it and they weren't happy with the returns. 
the Devils, or the Devils, the Rangers, like the, the difference here is there is a mini rebuild that happened or yeah. retool, right? Now, <laughs> if you were to think about how the Canucks do that in this moment, it's trading Miller. It's trading maybe one other piece, fairly big piece. You don't have to go as far as they did. And I'm not necessarily sure that it's the ideal way to go. Yeah. And I'm not saying don't trade somebody off. Go ahead. I mean, make a trade. I'm, I'm fine with making that trade. But I don't know if the Rangers had the ideal type of trade to make. One thing Vancouver has in its advan- to his, its advantage next season, they have a lot of cap space next year. Yeah. They have about, you know, have about $37 million in cap space. And they're not going to have any dead money next year. Right. Not this year, the year afterwards. The I mean, year after. Yeah. When the, new contracts for Miller and Horvat would potentially kick in, should they sign them? At most, um, maybe for Hoaglander and Put Colson, because they're on ELCs, they hit some performance bonuses, but we're talking about a few hundred thousand yeah. at most, not something big. That's at most what the Canucks are going to have is dead money. And then when you look at, you know, even if you don't like Tyler Myers, Tyler Myers is $6 million or Jacob Truba at $8 million. How different are those players mm-hmm. as far as overall value? Truba's better. Truba's more physical. But Truba also isn't worth the contract he's, he has. No. It's not an inefficient contract. No. So they also have a in big inefficient contract on the back end. I mean, maybe the better comparison is him and OEL. But even with Myers, he's one more year after this. Vancouver, as much as they have to be aggressive, they also have to kind of wait out some bad money in a year. Yeah. And that's going to open up a lot of things just on its own. But the Rangers do have, you know, a lot of capital... Um asset wise and also just guys coming right whether it be not just Lafreniere and Kako right Andre Miller is looking like a pretty damn good player they have Brendan Othman they have Nils Lungfist as we've talked about now, there there are other guys that are coming due to the mini reset that they had in this text guys the Rangers literally did a full rebuild they sent out a letter saying that um yeah the letter said that but Really look at their actions and uh, tell me it was a full rebuild. Not not quite. What It's not quite what the Arizona Coyotes are doing right now, what we've seen the Edmonton Oilers, the Buffalo Sabres do in the past. The Rangers took a step back for maybe a year before they really started going after it again. Yeah, I mean, 2018, they made a bunch of trades, right? McDonough, Miller, the trade of Rick Nash. Yep. They also traded Zuccarello, um, uh, but they also, but then they traded for Kevin Hayes, which they gave up a pick to acquire. Yeah, and then they got rid of him later. I mean, they gave up a pick to. I mean, they got picks, then they gave up picks. Um, no, they traded Kevin Hayes for Brendan Lemieux in a first round pick, and then they traded for Jacob Truda, Truba, traded for Adam Fox, gave Panarin a year after the letter. They gave Panarin. That seven-year contract worth eleven point six five million, and I'm not saying they didn't rebuild or retool, but it wasn't a full teardown rebuild. No, a year later they signed Artemi Panarin to a massive contract. Yeah, and Panarin was like, "I don't really want to play anywhere else." Yes, so that kind of helps. <laughs> yes, no, and like they were very aggressive. And yeah. They made a lot of trades, but they were aggressive to build right back up again. It wasn't they, like tear it down to the studs and yeah. take our time. It was, "Hey, let's make some trades and let's be super aggressive and trying to get better again." Um, it's Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. More on uh, the playoff teams going forward. A uh, bit of a postmortem on the Carolina Hurricanes. Disappointing yet again for them. But coming up next, Sam Cosentino is going to be joining us. Uh, his take on the upcoming entry draft and more next on Canucks Center.
Canuck Central, we are a presentation of your local Grip Auto entire location. Friendly service and expert advice are waiting for you at gripauto.ca today. Sam Cosentino is going to join us in uh, just a few moments. Talk about some prospects in the lead up to the uh, 2022 NHL entry draft. So uh, I had to run some errands today. Got a uh, gift for my nephew, uh, recently born. Shouts to uh, Oliver. Um, I'm visiting uh, Toronto for a wedding mm-hmm. over the next week. So I, I went to Granville Island uh, to the shop that I usually uh, pick up stuff for newborns whenever I go to uh, visit to Toronto. Because, you know, Italian families always grow and you get it. Yeah. Lots of kids. <laughs> um, I sat. It took me longer to find a parking spot than it did to actually go to the store and find something for my newborn nephew. That sounds about right for Granville Island. I'm driving around and I'm like in circles. Does anybody work? <laughs> why, why are there so many people here? It's Tuesday. It's a sunny Tuesday. But I, I could understand if it was Friday, maybe Monday, people taking an extra long weekend, maybe some more tourists around. You know, that would make sense. Mm-hmm. But on a Tuesday in June, I I, I don't know. I was, I was dumbfounded. Was, why, does anybody work anymore? Really? Why, got, why are you not, all here? I think a lot of people... St- are like self-employed nowadays Fair. and work from home nowadays and just kind of do their own thing. Yeah. So they can just kind of dip out whenever they want. Yeah. <laughs> I've noticed that uh, too. Oh, I don't have a meeting for the next uh, two hours. I'm just going to go uh, grab some uh, guanciale over at uh, Granville Island. Yeah. It's like I can watch another episode of Arrested Development or I can go out and <laughs> get some groceries. Yes. Find a couple berries. But Granville Island, it's a lot of fun. It's just, you're right. I mean, traffic wise, um, yeah, you're better off. I mean, th- weren't you better off just walking there and back? Yeah, I could have. But it's I, a nice I went, day. Yeah. It was after our meeting today. I was like, I could just get in and out quick and then get ready for the show. And how'd that work out? It's about a 20 minute walk from my place. So, you know, you're talking about 40 all minutes. told an, an hour, hour, you know, getting there, how getting much, get what you need and then getting back. And how much time did you spend there? Yeah. Almost an hour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, at least you would have saved gas, you would have saved parking, you would have saved the hassle and the stress. Yeah. That's one thing. I mean, honestly, I find, I've meant, I said this a hundred times before now, but honestly, now the older I get, the less I drive, the better. <laughs> like, I just love hopping on the candle line. Just put music on. I yeah. can relax. No stress. Maybe takes an extra couple of minutes to get where you need to get to, but you don't have to worry about driving there. Yeah. You ain't got to worry about your car. And if you decide to have a few drinks, <laughs> you don't have to worry about leaving your car somewhere. You're yeah. good. All right. Lesson learned. I didn't stop for any Lee's Donuts, though. You have you have. had a Lee's Donuts yeah, yet? Yes, I have. Oh, okay. They're pretty good. I mean, I'm, you know me. I'm not a donut guy. You're not a like, donut guy? But like, I do enjoy like one donut. Yeah. I can't do more than one. Uh, let's bring in our uh, our next guest, Sam Cosentino, joining us uh, here on uh, Canuck Central. What's happening, Sammy? It's a bombole. <laughs> See, Sat, Sat's not even a donut guy. He's not going to know what a bombole is. <laughs> You gotta have the bumble. <laughs> Sat for for you, uh, he's like just staring off into space right now. Like I have no idea what these two Italians are talking about. Yeah, no it's, idea. Sounds tasty though. <laughs> it's essentially a, a donut with. Uh, uh, I like the Nutella in the middle, Sammy. Personally, yeah, yeah nice. That's a nice touch for sure. <laughs> and they're the best at like the the root stops when you go to Italy and you stop like. The equivalent of the rest stop, I guess, in Canada. Yeah. That's that's where they're the best. <laughs> Believe it or not. Yeah, that's usually where you find the good stuff. Uh, Sam Cosentino joining us here on Canuck Central. So we've we've been having a lot of discussions about prospects and 
And also, like, player development. We talked to Canucks GM Patrick Alvine yesterday, and, you know, he was talking about the, the prospect system that he inherited and mentioned that, you know, it's not just about getting the talent into your organization. It's about how you grow them. I mean, Sammy, from, from your experience, like, how, how much is that, you know, a big, like, factor into a prospect reaching their potential is, you know, some organizations just develop them better than others. I, th- I think it's equally as important as the draft. I mean, the draft, we're, we're trying to look at 17 and 18-year-old kids, sometimes a bit older if they've gone through it once or twice before, and try and predict what they're going to be for your club, you know, in five years down the road. So, you know, based on what you see at that point, mm-hmm. you have ex- certain expectations of what that player is going to become. But that time between is hugely important because there's so many adjustments to be made. Some of them adjusting to, you know, living life uh, away from home and away from a billet. Some adjusting to, you know, a new town. Maybe it's a new language. Maybe it's the pace of play. Maybe it's, you know, different older teammates. There's a lot of different elements that go into that. And so all of those things that might be outside influences can affect what happens on the ice. And that's where the player development becomes also important because that, that player development piece allows you to help realize the potential of what you think that player uh, was going to be when you drafted him. Well, and, you know, one of the things that I I find really interesting here in general is when you look at players that get drafted, and for Vancouver, for instance, we were talking about a few prospects in Sweden that were taken in in the fifth and seventh rounds for the Canucks last year, guys like Jonathan Myrenberg and Lucas Forsell. But those guys played in the SHL this year as 18-year-olds, and they showed really well in their D-plus-1 draft year. And is is it is the D plus one draft year one of the best indicators as far as how a player will progress if they take a big leap? Typically, it is for higher ranked players, higher drafted players, but not necessarily for for your lower ranked guys. And if you have lower ranked guys that are D plus one end up doing well, you're thinking, okay, we're really really onto something here. Your expectation is that player is probably going to be pretty good if he's drafted high in his D plus one year. So you're thinking, okay. He's on the right. He's on the right path. These are the expectations we had of that player. So, you know, honestly, though, for me, I look at it. Your first rounder should should arrive on the scene and be, and be you know, uh, contributing members of your top four or uh, top six within three years. Everybody else, it's a little bit of a crapshoot. So, when you get to that point, you're saying, okay, what are we going to do with those players? in those years in between when we expect them to be good or, or contributing members of our, of our club. So that's why it's so important. So the D plus one for sure, but sometimes that D plus one means you got a guy who's come out of college or maybe isn't there such a massive adjustment. Maybe it's a kid who comes out of junior and he's like, okay, yeah, this is easier. And I think typically though, I think the draft plus two, now you're in it. This is a job. This is my career. This is, this has meaningful you know, uh, consequences to what I do each and every day. And so I think that year might actually be a little bit more important than the D plus one. Is, uh, you know, the later rounds when it comes to, to European prospects, is that still kind of like a, a dark area for a lot of teams? Like uh, where, you, where you can maybe uh, find somebody that, that nobody else is quite, quite looking at? Yeah, I think that can, that can definitely be a huge thing for you because, when you're when you're looking at um, later in in the draft, you're thinking to yourself, yeah, we have some pretty good certainty in, in rounds one, two, and three. But once we get past that, the 
chances of that player becoming a you know a meaningful contributor to your team is exponentially lower. So when you're able to go and find those guys in the lower rounds because you saw maybe one element of his game that you thought, okay, this might pop at the NHL, but we have to improve in so many other areas. But that's why it's hugely important. And that's why when you look and you see the teams that have had success, especially in the salary cap area, you're going to see players that were drafted late that have gone through the system two, three, four years that uh, all of a sudden make an impact. I think of uh, Jacob Middleton as, as being that guy. I mean, he was a, a hot commodity on the trade market, a guy who was drafted late, 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 and it's taken him five or six years to develop. And now he's a guy that people are coveting at the, at the trade deadline. So, you know, those are the type of people that, that, that you're looking at to have an impact for you late in the draft where you take your time, you kind of allow himself to figure out what he's going to be, your player development, make a determination on what they think he could be, and then you move him in that direction, probably a lot different than where he was in college or where he was in junior. So that's, you know, it's important to try and find those guys, but you can't just flush them out and leave them, you know, to, to die, basically. You really need to kind of forge forward with those players, and that player development piece that we talked about is such an important piece of that in making those players successful, uh, you know, contributing people to your lineup. Well, teams, uh, like how far down the board do they do they rank guys, Sammy? Like on the high end, 90 to, a, to 100 players every year? Yeah, that's about right. Yep, 90 to 100 players. Yeah, because I just, you know, there, there's no way you can watch everybody and have a, have a really good sense of, of what's coming in the draft. Sam Cosentino joining us here on, uh, on Canuck Central. So before we get into uh, some of the things with uh, this upcoming first round and, and maybe uh, who might be trending towards the Vancouver Canucks, uh, there, there's still a lot of hype around first overall. And will it be Shane Wright or Uri Slavkovsky, who uh, has been playing well uh, through the World Championships? Um, do you think there's a still there's a there's a debate there for the Montreal Canadiens? I honestly, you know, I didn't think that at the start of the year, guys. But my mind has changed considerably. I mean, I still feel very strongly about Shane, right? I do, but I will also say that I do think that this has become a, a three horse race. Yeah. Well, I mean, do you think it's become a three horse race because I look at Logan Cooley, I look at Slavkovsky, what he's done against men at the Worlds and at the Olympics. And I'm saying to myself, you know what? These, all three of these guys have an opportunity to go first overall. And I, and I strongly, strongly believe that. Well, you know what I find really interesting about, about a guy like Logan Cooley is if he was just a little bit taller, are we talking about him maybe being the first overall pick? Like if he was 6'1", is there a different discussion around him? Well, I, I don't think there's any question about it. I don't think there's any question about it because you're always looking for that size down the middle of the ice. And so I think that's a coveted, a coveted position, but that position also has to come at you with some size. That's where you really can make hay with your guys down the middle of the ice with that size. And we see it throughout the course of the playoffs. So it does change the complexion for you look at these two teams in, uh, in particular in New Jersey, who do they have down the middle of the ice? Smallish guy in Hughes, smallish guy in Heischer. So maybe that's not their cup of tea to go back down that road again with a guy like Cooley, right, a little bit bigger, but maybe not. Um, and then I'm looking at where Montreal is. Suzuki's your number one guy. He's kind of a smallish guy. So what does that mean for, you know, for the Montreal Canadiens when they're looking at first overall? 
Yeah, I mean, and that's going to be super interesting. Now, where Vancouver finds itself, I know in your last, uh, you know, top 16 kind of mock draft, you have Marco Casper finding his way to number 15 for Vancouver. In that range, how good a value would he be? And are there some other guys that you think would be a really interesting fit? Well, I think Kevin Korczynski is a guy who's probably going to be in that range somewhere. Philip Mesar, Yuri Kulich. The, the thing about this draft is, and even with that uncertainty, is the three guys that we talked about as being potential number ones, that uncertainty really extends through the first 15 picks in this draft. So I was talking to a scout the other day, and you know, basically their assertion was, we have no idea what's going to go on here. We're pretty certain of who the top three guys are. We, we have a good sense of what the top 10 will probably be, but really, after those three, they could go in, in any order. And when that happens, uh, you get a couple of surprises in there. That also changes things for when you get to number 10. The other thing, guys, uh, the other thing is you have to consider what's going to happen with some of the Russian players. There's definitely two of them that deserve to be in that top 10. In Ivan Mirosnichenko, if everyone believes he can come back from the Hodgins uh, lymphoma, which they do believe can happen. And the other guy is Daniela Yurov. What do teams think about those players? in drafting them if they have to wait? Do they want to come over? Uh, you know, are they going to be allowed to come over? Can you get the visas? All of those different elements come to play uh, inside the top 10. So if those guys slip out and now you're sitting there in Vancouver and you're like, oh, okay, well, maybe one of these guys is someone that we can afford to wait on a little bit and we're going to find value here because they're top 10 talents. So I, I honestly, I think it's going to be really, really wild what we see probably from pick number eight on. Um, and, and it could be a number of different names moving up and down that, that list. And, uh, you know, that's the consensus I get through most of the scouts that I've talked to. Do you think there's some teams that, that just won't draft Russian players this year, Sammy? Well, I think, you know, to be quite honest, there are teams that have that mantra in place already, despite what's happened, uh, you know, with the war right. in Ukraine. And so that will be exacerbated, there's no doubt. And if you're a team that has multiple picks, if there's a team that has multiple picks, then you're thinking that that opportunity would exist to try and take a chance on one of those players. Now, if you have a team that um, uh, you know has only one pick, do they really want to take that risk and go down that road and, and, and take that chance on a player that, hey, you may never get? Uh, so that, that becomes very problematic as well. So it is, you know, it's, it's super challenging with that mantra that's been in place for teams already. They will stay the course. But I think you'll see additional teams go onto that list as well. Uh, one last question. It's from one of our listeners, Sammy. Uh, Marcus and Gibson's wants, uh, wants your take on Brad Lambert and whether or not he may be available for the Canucks. Well, that, and that's a great question. And so for me, this guy is a top 10 talent, but he's had a real topsy-turvy year. He switched term, uh, teams in Liga, which isn't something you see happen very often. He does have some ties. His dad, you know, from Saskatoon, uh, Ross, his uh, uncle, of course, Lane Lambert. Uh, now the head coach of the New York Islanders who are picking ahead of Vancouver. So that possibility might exist. But I think if a Brad Lambert is available to Vancouver at that spot, I don't think you have any choice but to take him. Uh, again, you would have seen some inconsistency in his production, but when he's at his best, and I take those two World Junior games mm -hmm. uh, as a sampling of when he's at his best, you're going to get a really, really good player there. All the tools are there for that for that young man to have success in the NHL. You know, one thing I'm confused by with Brad Lambert, Sam, is the fact that when you watch him, there's so many translatable skills, yet there are some who don't like him at all as a prospect and are very, very cold on him. Like, where do you think that comes yeah. from? Because like, from watching him, I don't quite see why they would be that cold on him. 
Well, the reason you'd be cold on is because the point production in Liga is usually a pretty good predictor of what we're going to see in the NHL, and he didn't do anything this year. I think he had more points last year, 15 and 46 games playing in Liga, than he did this year playing for two teams. And part of the reason why he switched teams going from JYP to, to uh, the Pelicans was that he was looking for more ice time and more high-leverage situations. Those things were granted to him when he made the move, and the production pretty much remained the same. So that's why there are some people that are very cold uh, on Brad Lambert. Hey, Sammy, uh, you're the best. Always appreciate the time. Have a nice espresso, okay? Okay, thanks, guys. Take it easy. Uh, there's uh, Sam Cosentino joining us here on uh, Canuck Central. Yeah, uh, always fun catching up with Sam. I-, I find these things fascinating when it comes to drafts, and especially when you talk to different people. And I just wonder, when, when people are that cold on a guy, I w- and there are some that are like, I wouldn't touch Lambert in the first round, which I just find to be really odd because I'm like, I get if you don't want to take him top 10 or even top 12, 13 or whatever, but like not in the first round. You tell me he's not intriguing to you in the 20s or something if he's there. Like, I don't quite understand. I wonder if sometimes that's just bias or like, you know, you yeah. just don't like a prospect or if you know something else or you're not alluding to or whatever and you're trying to figure that stuff out. Because when you watch Lambert, there are a lot of things that you like about him. I probably wouldn't take him in the top 7, 8 or even yeah. top 10. I think other guys I would feel safer about he would be, would be very interesting at 15. Well, even you just... Like watch a little bit of them, and the skating just pops. Yes, right. I mean, you're like, wow, okay, that guy can that guy can keep up in the NHL. And he he makes. I mean, when I watch them play, I see a player who's smart. I see a player who understands. Now it's hard to project what that looks like on North American ice, for instance. But I, when I watch some of his shifts and I watch a couple of his games, and I'm like, he seems like like I, I just don't quite. I see like some of the concerns. Yeah. I understand why you wouldn't take him too high. But I don't quite understand why there is that much pessimism on him. Well, and you talk to a lot of people around uh, the scouting industry now, and, and one of the things, like, processing speed has become a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Hockey IQ, like, okay, yeah, you've got you've got talent, but can you process the game quickly enough to make that play in less than a second at the NHL level, right? Can you make that bang-bang play all the time, consistently? And those are the types of things, uh, you know, we'll have to see how the Canucks value that. And I'm sure it's, uh, it's going to be pretty high. And hopefully uh, in the next couple of weeks, we'll be able to talk to Todd Harvey in the lead up to the draft as well. The uh, top of the draft is interesting, especially with New Jersey's, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, you know, we've kind of talked this down already. Like the uh, idea, the rumor of New Jersey willing to move their second overall pick is probably a fugazi, but. It is a year where there isn't a clear-cut number one or number two guy. Mm-hmm. There's the top three, but seemingly, you know, there's a bit of a difference on how people are ranking that top three. And if you're in that spot, and I wonder if New Jersey trades down. Yeah. Because, hey, that's the value in this year's draft. You trade down and maybe get a couple extra picks, and maybe that trade down first is the first you trade for something else, and you come away with something extra. Because I... Cause I I would make the the second overall pick for JT straight up. I'd make that deal. Yeah. Because the second overall pick, like it's just such a high value pick that you would make that. And now you wouldn't offer anything else if you're trying to make that trade if you're in New Jersey. It's like yeah. a straight up type of one for one type of deal is what you would look to do. But there aren't many guys in New Jersey who would probably want to do that. Yeah. Like even for JT, for instance, like what is the upside for them to trade a second overall pick to get a guy who they have to extend to a massive contract into his 30s? It just, it just, if you're trading the second overall pick, don't you want some more cost-effective certainty? Yes. And don't you want to have a player that maybe is a bit younger? Yes. 
maybe a 25, 26 year old. Yeah, both like, of, both of those things are true. Like for instance, you know what I would try to do? Like what's going on with Matt Barzell? Mm-hmm. What else can we give you to get Barzell? Now you're not getting Barzell in New Jersey from the yeah, from the well, Islanders, but, you, but that's the type of player you go after. Is yeah. my point. You're not trading the second overall pick for one year of JT Miller. No, and you're not trading. And even if you want to extend him, doesn't make sense to give that much up and then extend him. You want a controllable hockey player, yeah, one that you expect is coming through their prime, uh, because you're you're giving up a potentially very good player at least for the next what six, seven, eight years. My other question though is, does a player like Alexander Holtz become available? Because they have the second overall pick, do they feel like they can maybe trade him and then they have the pick to get a player that helps them long-term instead? And would that be something a team like Vancouver would be interested in? Yeah. For instance. Now that could be super interesting. And uh, again, we'll go through some of those possibilities uh, with uh, producer Josh Elliott-Wolf tomorrow on the show. the, The one thing I think about every time we talk about Shane Wright, it's not that he's a bad prospect, but is he a first overall pick type of prospect? Well, in this year's draft, he probably is. He's going to Montreal. If you're not going to be a big point producer and you're a first overall pick, it's tough. But is he, I mean, I mean, is he like Nolan Patrick in that sense? Yeah. Because with Nolan Patrick, he also had some injuries that mm-hmm. derailed him. I just, I just worry about you know, anytime a first overall pick isn't really like, you know, is, isn't is going to jump off the page. It's really hard because the fan base is going to have, especially in a Canadian market, is going to have such a high expectation of that player that it's very hard to live up to unless they're able to produce the points. Yeah, and... Are you staring at a situation where you might be able to draft Nico Heischer, which is nice? Mm-hmm. Or maybe you bypass Kale McCarr, Mira Heiskanen, and Elias Patterson. Right. Because you took the guy that was probably the most ready, probably is a consensus first overall pick, probably should go first overall in this year's draft. But as you talked about, maybe there's more upside with Cooley. But which, yeah, yeah, I mean, potentially. And I think that's that's the one, That's to me, the Cooley one is fascinating. Yeah. Because I had some people tell me that if he was six feet tall, he's a first overall pick when I even asking questions, which makes me ask a question. If he's that good, like, does what? two inches matter? He's 5'10". <laughs> like, I get it. You know, size down the middle matters. But to yes. that extent, like, we're talking about a guy's like, oh, surefire first overall pick. So, I mean, I'm like, so two inches means you don't touch him first yeah. overall? But what if he turns out to be a really good 5'10 center who crushes his matchups and puts up points? Yep. That <laughs> doesn't make sense to me, man. Uh, it really doesn't. Uh, yeah, there's uh, the two defensemen as well, Juracek and uh, Nemec, uh, that are probably top five selections as well. We'll see how it plays out. Uh, we're going to have a lot of draft previews coming up here on Canuck Central as we get you ready for it. Uh, wow, that went late, way late. Bet on hockey like never before with Play Now Sports, your local BC Sportsbook Eastern Conference Final will start tomorrow, but tonight, Sat, is the Western Conference Final. The Colorado Avalanche and the Edmonton Oilers. Mm-hmm. You had the bold prediction yesterday. Yes, sir. To say the Edmonton Oilers are going to win this series. It is paying over three to one over now at playnow.com, so you can get that there. People are saying this is going to be a high-scoring series. The total for tonight is at seven. Mm. 
I'm taking the under on seven goals. Ooh, you're taking the under between the Edmonton Oilers and Colorado Avalanche? Yeah. You like to live dangerously, my friend. Yes. But there is some juice on it. Yep. <laughs> It's just such a high total. It is such a high total. Like seven goals for a playoff game. Yeah. Final four. They hit the under in two of their three games this year. So. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it, to me, it's not it's a just, bad one. It's just one of those things like it's all the narrative is saying, oh, there's going to be a thousand goals. And like, uh, I don't know. Is, is there actually going to be a thousand goals? Are we like, positive about this? Is that actually going to happen? Yeah. Um. So th- to me, the interesting thing here is power play points. Ah, we love Sackiff's props and power play points. That's what I like. And whether it's Leon Dreisaitl or Connor McDavid, two to one odds, even money essentially for you to wager on them getting a point yeah. on the power play. And let's say for argument's sake, well, let's say for logic's sake, Colorado's going to dictate the pace even strength outside yeah. of when McDavid and Dreisaitl are out there and the second line can do some things too. The power play is going to be where they're going to have to make a lot of hay. Kemper has, doesn't look great on the power play. The defense at times, the PK for the Avs, problematic. Uh, I love the value on power play points. Uh, we'll have uh, more chats on that game coming up shortly. But up next, Frank Valley didn't join us yesterday, so he'll join us today on Canuck Central Sports at 650.